With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host Curtis, or I guess I should say Curtis will be calling in in just a few minutes. He had a few technical issues on his end that he's cleaning up right now. It's no big deal. He'll get it straight now here in just a second. But uh, we do have a kind of a tight window to get this show recorded and produced and uploaded today, all that stuff. So I'm going to run through the intro real quick without Kurt, and then he should be calling in in just a few minutes. We'll bring him on board, and we'll get into the main course of today's show. And once Curtis calls in, the main portion of the show will be part four of our performance review series that we've been running over the course of the last month. If you missed the first three parts of the series, what we're doing is we're going through the returning players on the roster and giving them an annual performance review, just like most of us go through each and every year. You guys know that fun process. Uh, just like all of your employers grade your performance, they call you in to discuss what you've done well, what you can improve on in the coming year. You kind of feel like you're going to the principal's office. You guys know the drill. Or maybe you're the boss who gives the reviews. Either way, you guys know how this works. And we are in the process of doing the same thing for our returning players. What we do is we're kind of grading their 2019 performance, discussing their strengths, their weaknesses, and give them what we think is a realistic performance goal for the 2020 season. We've already covered the likes of George Pickens, Richard LeCount, Demetrius Robertson, Eric Stokes, and many, many more in the first three parts of the series. So make sure to check those out if you've missed any of them. But we do have a whole new batch of players to grade today. But first, while we're waiting on Curtis to call in, I do want to quickly just kind of throw out some love to some of the other programs on campus outside of football. Obviously, football is our first love, and that's where our attention is going to be primarily focused really each and every week of the year. But I do want to kind of throw some love to some other programs and review what was just an awesome weekend for Georgia's winter and now spring sports. Sure, the Gym Dogs got destroyed by Florida on Friday. That was tough to watch, but that was the lone blemish on an otherwise stellar weekend for our dogs. The baseball team swept rival Georgia Tech, including a 12 to nothing victory on the flats. And we are now 11-1 to open the season on the diamond. We're ranked fourth in the country. This season looks like it could be one where we maybe do end up taking that next step. Obviously, it's very, very early on in the season. But Texas, I hate to even give them this kind of credit, but they are a respectable opponent. They were a top 25 opponent. And we uh, we took three out of three from them this, this weekend. So that was great to see. We've got a couple of weeks left before we start conference play. We open up against Florida, who's actually number one right now. Got off to a really hot start. So that should be an explosive opening series to conference play here in a couple weeks, just after spring break. So uh, good stuff going on on the diamond. Got to give them some props there. And then obviously Tom Crean, you guys saw this, I'm sure, on Saturday. Tom Crean and the Hoop Dogs, 
dealt a serious blow to Arkansas's tournament hopes with a 99-89 victory over a pretty solid Hogs team. We still didn't defend very well. We have 89 points again. Uh, but it's just amazing how you end up winning basketball games when you, huh, I don't know, actually shoot the ball well and don't turn the ball over. We shot 56.7% from the field, 43.5% from three, when we only shoot 30% from three on average. That was a, a huge performance from the three-point line. And we only turned the ball over 10 times when we averaged nearly 15 a game. And that's kind of been the issue all year. We kind of struggled in those three areas. We struggled to defend. It's, it's really, it's, it's a trifecta of poor defense, poor shooting, and just turning the ball over like crazy. When we have good nights, and I don't know, like even just two of those three areas, we're actually a pretty good team. I and mean, we can beat some teams. But the problem is, obviously, it just hasn't happened often enough with such a young and inexperienced team. Uh, Anthony Edwards, the Ant-Man, went off again, scoring 26 points after dropping 36 earlier in the week at South Carolina. So over the past two games, Edwards is averaging 31 points on 52% shooting from the field and 44% from three. He, he's really starting to kind of get in a groove right now. He's figuring things out. He's letting the game come to him. He's squaring his body on his jump shots, doing a much better job of reading how defenses are playing him and just really taking what they're giving him. And when he does those technical things well, along with his God-given just flat-out freakish athleticism, he's a monster. I mean, he's, I don't want to say he's a guy you can't stop, but he is a flat-out monster when he starts to do all those things well. And we're starting to see that more from him. He's grown throughout this year. But my biggest takeaway from that game was... Again, really, this is kind of just a confirmation of what I've been saying all year is that Rayshon Hammonds is the key to this Georgia basketball team. When he scores, when he has a good night, our chances of winning go up exponentially. But, and the thing is, like, he's maddeningly inconsistent in, that, in his scoring. It, it's so inconsistent. He's so up and down. But regardless, I think he's clearly... When he's on, he's our second best scoring option when he feels like being assertive. And that's hit or miss. But when he feels like it, and he comes out and he gets off to a hot start and he doesn't get in foul trouble, which is huge for him because he just commits some of these most ridiculous, just asinine fouls. But when he's assertive and he's scoring early, he is the key to our team. Like Right now in the season, he's averaging 12.7 points a game. But here's the thing. We're 8-3 in games when he scores 15-plus points while we're only 7-11 in games where he scores less than 50. And, and to take it a step further, we are 5-1 in games where Hammond scores 20-plus points. Ant-Man is our guy, no doubt about it. But every Batman needs a Robin. Every MJ needs a Scottie Pippen. And Hammond's needed to be that guy for us all year long. He, he was at times, but he was just so up and down. He hasn't been that guy consistently. But if he can give us 22 and 9 and on 69% shooting down the stretch like he did on Saturday against Arkansas, and I'm not even asking for that, but just give us 15 plus points a game, give us 8 to 10 rebounds, shoot 50%-ish from the field, we might just win a few more games before the season ends. Unfortunately, though, it is a little too late at this point, but still... It's a really good sign to kind of build some momentum towards the end of this season, heading into the 2021 years. I think we have a chance with some of these young guys growing up next year to be pretty good. I, maybe I was a little bit ahead of the game this year, saying I thought we had a chance to just at least be on the bubble. And, and actually, if you look at it, we've had some chances. Like some of these 20-plus point leads, these double-digit leads that we've blown, if we just have won like half of those games, we'd be like right there on the bubble. Probably not in the tournament, but at least like somewhat in the conversation, at least like with a shot. But obviously... With our young and experienced team, we blew those leads. We were not able to close the deal, and, and we kind of are where we are. But still, really nice win for the Hoops team. 
Let's see if we can keep that momentum going against Florida this week, senior night. So go get out there if you get a chance. Let's honor our seniors and uh, hopefully send them out with a nice win against rival Florida. I do also want to give a big shout out to the men's tennis team. You guys know I love some tennis and I know not everyone out there cares all that much. So if you don't care, feel free to fast forward through this. But I'm a big Georgia tennis fan, men's and women's team. You guys know that if you've listened to the show for a while. So we're waiting on Kurt. Let's just give him a quick shout out here just for a few minutes. Uh, and the men's tennis team in particular, they, we're coming off two very disappointing Dallas seasons. We are a, uh, a blue blood in college tennis, and we uh, have not lived up to the past two years. But our guys made a statement this weekend with two top 10 wins at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, the newly renovated Dan McGill Tennis Complex. And it looks fantastic, by the way. you got to get out there and take it a match. But uh, first, it, it, on Friday, it was a 4-1 victory over number Tennessee Friday. And then we followed that up with a 4-0 shutout win over number 3 ranked Ohio State. That was really the big one. And look, guys, I know, I know it's very early and there's a long way to go. And we're surely going to hit a bump or two somewhere along the way. But after watching both matches in person this weekend, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'll jump the gun. Our boys are back. We are very young. All six of our singles players on Sunday were freshmen or sophomores. So I'm under no illusions there. When you have guys that young, there's going to be some ups. There's going to be some downs. But the thing that I really took away from this weekend is that these guys, young or not, they can play. The biggest difference this year is we actually have guys that can can, can compete against the best competition on courts one and two. We, we've had solid players on courts one and two over the past few seasons, uh, but not elite players. Anytime we played a team with elite players on the number one and number two singles lines, you could almost just chalk it up as a loss, which put a ton of pressure on number one, win the doubles point, and then also number two, all the other singles positions had a lot of pressure on them to actually win because we just weren't winning consistently on one and two. But this year it's different so far. This year sophomore Trent Bride is playing number one singles after playing court three as a freshman last year. Philip Henning from South Africa is playing court two after playing court four most of last year before hurting his ankle about midway through the conference slate. But it was a heck of a comeback for Philip Henning on Sunday against Ohio State. He went down 0-5 in the first set against the number seven ranked player in the country. Uh, but he battled back and he reeled off seven straight games in that first set after going down 0-5 to take the first set and eventually win the match in straight sets. Uh, then on court one, Trent Bride defeated the number 13 player. And he already has a win over the number two ranked player nationally earlier in the year when he defeated Yuya Ito from Texas. I'm telling you guys, both these guys, Bride and Henning, they can play. And they have both improved so much from where they were a year ago. They have clearly put in the time. They've bought in. But also give a shout out to Manny Diaz, who, by the way, just became the winningest coach in SEC men's tennis history over the weekend. So big shout out to Manny. And really, like, think about this, guys. We've had two coaches in like the last 50 years within our history of Georgia tennis, Manny Diaz and Dan McGill. Both guys have over 700 wins now on their resume. And uh, Manny's still going. Think about that, guys. The top two coaches in SEC men's tennis history both come from the University of Georgia. That's right. That's why I said we are a blue blood college tennis program. But anyway, Manny, great accomplishment. Shout out to you there. But he and assistant Jamie Hunt have done an incredible job of building this team back after a few down years. I mean, let's be real. It was was tough sledding the past couple years. But uh, we're also so young. We're just so young. And that's probably the most exciting thing about this. We are good this year. I'm excited to see where we go this year but we're going to be even better in the years to come. And on the women's side, uh, the women's tennis team has also started off conference play on the right foot with a dominant 4-0 victory over number 23, Tennessee. Uh, The ladies, if you remember last year, won the national indoor title, but but there were two key pieces off of that team. 
that decided to leave the program early to pursue professional opportunities. We had a, a rising sophomore and a rising, a rising junior decide to leave. So we've kind of been working in two freshmen into the lineup. Leah Ma was one of those freshmen playing number two singles for us, and she's a flat-out beast. She's going to be a, a fantastic player for us. She already is. She has a very unique style that's really fun to watch. It's hard to describe. You kind of just have to come out and watch it, but it's really fun to watch. She's all the way, she was all the way up to number 19 in the country at one point. So she's definitely going to be a big part of this team. And then the other freshman is Anya Hurdle, who uh, is from Poland, just and she just joined the team in January, so she's still kind of trying to get her feet under her. The one thing about her that really stands out, she's a powerful serve, and she's really, really good in doubles. And the rest of the team, we really still, even without the two players that we lost, even without Lourdes Carlet and Vivian Wolf, we still have the core of the team that won the national indoor title and was the insulated runner-up in the outdoor season. That core is still very much intact. We've got Katarina Jokic, who was the most important player on the team. I still say she's the best singles player in the country. She's back, uh, along with seniors Marta Gonzalez and Elena Kristofi, who have been mainstays for us for years now. And I personally love Meg Kowalski down on court six. Uh, all that girl does down there in the pit on court six and singles, all she does is dominate. She just flat out dominates match in and match out. She's a force and she's an anchor for us at that number six singles position. And this, so this team, I, I still think has everything it needs to take care of some unfinished business and win that national title that just barely escaped our grasp last season. So a great weekend for all of us dogs, but Curtis is calling in here. So let me bring him in and let's turn the page to football and our latest performance reviews. With spring practice approaching, I don't, I don't know if you guys realize this. I think it's the 17th that spring practice officially opens. So that's like almost exactly two weeks away, depending on when you're listening to this show. But as we're recording, it's the second right now. So just about two weeks away. So that's coming up really quickly here. So this is probably going to be the last edition of this series because we have a couple of spring practice previews that we're going to be running next week that we definitely want to get to. We'd love to do a few more of these. We've had a really good response from you guys out there, and uh, we'd love to give you more. Maybe we can after spring practice, but we only have two weeks before practice starts. So I'm not sure going to be able to do those spring practice preview episodes and get any more of these in before spring practice opens in just a few short weeks. So today, we're going to try to run through as many guys as we possibly can. So let's get to it. And we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball today with running back Zamir White. And look, guys, we all love Zeus. We all root for this guy. I've never come across anybody. I mean, we all root for all Georgia guys. But, you know, we all have those guys kind of special to us that we maybe root a little bit extra hard for. I think Zeus is that guy for, for most all fans out there. And it was just awesome to see him get out there and carry the football in his redshirt freshman season. We all know the story. Former five-star recruit. He tore both ACLs before his first game here in Athens. And for most of the season, he was the third back this past year. But there are high expectations for him moving into his third year on campus. So, Kurt, uh, just to refresh your memory, my friend, I know it's been a week or two since we do- have done one of these. How did you grade him? Remember, that the, for those of you who missed the first couple episodes, uh, we're grading this on a, a four-point scale. One being needs improvement. Two being he's developing. Three is proficient, and four is advanced, and we Curtis is going to define those however Curtis wants to define those. So, Kurt, for Zamir White, this 2019 season, what grade did you give him? Um, If I'm going on the whole season, I'm actually probably going to go with a two, but if I want to go with the way he ended it, I think a three is a fair shot. Um, I thought, you know, especially in that Baylor game, he played up to more so. You could see him getting more comfortable, and you're, you're starting to realize, all right, this is what this guy can really do. But throughout the season, I thought in his spare duty, a two was fair. 
because he's still you could just see the rust in him um you know there's so uh some carrying prop you know f he fumbled the ball a little bit um there was just a few errors here and there that you saw where he needed to improve but as the season went on you did see him start to get more and more comfortable yeah absolutely uh, i think you hit the nail on the head there i think if you look at the season in totality it was probably a two and in part of that's because he didn't get a ton of reps uh, really throughout any portion of the season, but especially early on in the year. I think it was against Vanderbilt. He didn't get in the game, did he, Kurt? I yeah, think he did. Yeah, I think he had like a uh, – oh, that's right. I think that, I think that, he didn't get in the game in the first half. Late in the game, he, he broke one down the side. And that's when he fumbled right. it. I think he fumbled it yeah, out of yeah, bounds. Yeah, but... yeah, my bad on that. You're exactly right. Uh, but he, he didn't have – like I wouldn't say he had a massive impact this season. So to me, because of that – I'm going to go with developing here. I'm still very high on what Zeus can be, but I'm with you. Like the rust was clearly there. I mean, on the year he had 408 yards total rushing uh, on 78 carries, five, a very solid, respectable, a good 5.2 yards per carry, three touchdowns. Uh, and you mentioned the game against Baylor, which is really kind of he got the start right because with Swift decided to sit out that game and he won, or he tried to play. I give him the guy credit; he was kind of injured in that game as well. Played a couple snaps for us. But as Zeus gets the start, he got he got the bulk of the carries in that game. Uh, carried the ball 18 times for 92 yards against a good Baylor defense. Uh, so you start to see him get more and more carries as the season went on. And I think you're right. He got more and more comfortable as he got more and more carries. And also got further away from the injuries. I think that has something to do with it as well. Because to me, what I saw from Zeus in the 2019 season, I, I really equate – I'm not the, obviously not the first person to say this, but uh, I, I buy this. I think it was – I equate it very much like the 2016 Nick Chubb situation. Right, Kerr? I mean, is, is that yeah, kind of how Yeah, I think the difference it? was we had to rely on Nick Chubb a lot more that exactly. year than we are than we did so, more so uh, Zeus this year. Yeah, absolutely. And look, guys, like Nick was good in 2016. He was good. I'm not saying he wasn't good. Nick Chubb was always good for us. But the version that we saw from Nick Chubb in 2016, like that version of Nick Chubb was not the Nick Chubb we saw – in 2014 or 15, and it certainly wasn't the Nick Chubb we saw in 2017 or the Nick Chubb we see now in the NFL. It just wasn't. He wasn't back to himself. He was good enough to play, but he wasn't the dynamic player at that position that he had been before or after the injury. So I think you can say the same thing about Zamir White in 2019. I don't think the version we saw of Zeus last year is the version we saw before he came here to Georgia when he was in high school or the version that we're going to see moving forward, which is exciting for me because I think he was still good while certainly rusty. But we saw uh, we saw some positive signs. We saw really first and foremost that what stood out to me with Zeus. You talk about his his 2019 season was the power, right, Kurt? Yeah, uh, I mean, even when even early on when he played, it still was very difficult to come bring him down. Like you thought this guy had all the makings to be a great third down back or a short yardage. And we were talking about that throughout the season. Like, hey, when we get in short yardage, some of the short yardage issues that we were having early on in the year is like, hey, I don't know what we can do. Turn around and give it to that guy, that guy that runs so hard. Uh, so we saw the power. We saw the effort, the toughness, the physicality for him. Those are things that you like to see in a young guy. But there are still some things that he needs to improve on. Kurt, you mentioned the rust, but when you're looking at like specifically his game, what we saw from him in 2019, what do you hope that he improves on next year heading into 2020? Um, the thing for me is catching the ball out of the backfield. Because if you watch his high school tape, that's actually one of his strong points. Um, he was yeah. a very good receiver out of the back. I mean, he was he was never like a Swift or someone in high school. If you compare the tapes, but the guy was actually a weapon out of the back, and I think that's one area he needs to kind of uh, get back to, especially in this Todd Monken offense. I mean. Because we're not going to really have as many weapons that are as versatile as what we had in DeAndre Swift. So he's going to have to improve on his game in that part. Um, the guy was one heck of a blocker um, in pass blocking. He would come in there and lay the wood. So that's not really a problem. Sure. Yeah, there, he stoned just, more than one guy for sure. Yeah, and so that's why I think his thing is, you know, just working on his versatility is probably his lateral movement. And yep. I think one thing, too, is probably his vision. 
Yeah, you fit everything I've got on my on my notes here. You're exactly right. I mean, I didn't actually include the catch in the backfield, but you're right on that. I think part of that, might, like, how much of that do you think was that he just didn't get as many opportunities to do that as some other players did? Um, I think it's there, and I think that's also not what our offense was this year. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I mean, yeah, very clearly, I thought we should have got. I mean, it would, really, we got the ball to Swift, uh, you know, occasionally on the back. I don't, I don't think. But nearly a lot of enough. that, in my opinion, was just checkdowns because we were running sure. such bad routes, route trees. We were designing like that, that we, a lot of it was really just for anyone out. other than James Cook out of that position, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and we got the ball to hit. Like, I would say later on in the year, once we were kind of bogged down offensively, we, we started to do some, try to do some different things. We tried to get the running backs a little bit more involved, like the Florida game, for instance. But it was just inconsistent. Like, we did it well against Florida. And I, and I said after that game, I was like, huh, I'm very curious to see, is this like a game plan specific thing for Florida? Or is this kind of like a, a sign of things to come down the road? And really, it turned out to be like a game plan thing for Florida. It really, we didn't see that much throughout the rest of the year. I know we had some injuries in that position, especially with Swift, but we shouldn't see it as much throughout the rest of the year. I guess Brian Heron caught a couple of big balls, uh, got, got a touchdown against Auburn, but we didn't see it as consistently as I thought we might down the stretch after that Florida game when we had a lot of success doing that. But uh, going back to Zeus here, you mentioned lateral agility. I think that's that's where my concerns are for him. When you talk about ACLs, we just didn't see either great lateral agility or even breakaway speed. And Zeus was never necessarily like a burner, even coming to high school, but he always had good, good speed, very good speed. Maybe not like elite speed, but very, very good speed. And I don't think we quite saw that from him this year. The lateral agility wasn't there like it needs to be, but that's, not unusual guys you're talking about any, anyone coming off just one acl surgery let alone two of them one on each knee um so i think that's something that i'm I'm hopeful will improve this year just with the natural progression getting back from the injury i don't think that's necessarily because we saw that with chubb like in 2016 again like he didn't flash the explosion the acceleration the lateral agility that he did before and after so i'm hopeful that we'll see more of that zeus kind of returning to form in that regard but I also have questions about his vision. And, Kurt, that's that's the thing you mentioned there, and that's like the, my biggest question mark with Zamir White right now is just is he seeing things clearly? Because there were times, and I love the guy. I love him. I'm really not trying to be critical of him because I, I love this kid. But there were times, i got to be honest, where holes would develop, but he had just made up his mind. He was going to put his head down and just try to plow ahead for whatever tough yards. It's like what Brian Herrian was his first couple years. That's a great analogy. I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there's something to be said for that, you know, getting the tough yards. Sure, maybe that was his role, and he felt like that's what he was in there to do. I don't know. But there were multiple times in, in many different games where he would do that, and bigger plays were out there to be made if he just puts his head up and has his eyes looking around and sees the hole develop. And part of that is, like, you see the hole develop, then you have to have the lateral agility to get into that hole. And maybe he wasn't confident in the lateral ability uh, right now, come back from, off that injury, so he didn't think he could get into those holes. So you just put your head down and go forward. But, like – my thing was just like he showcased that in high school. He showed me that he could play with good vision from the running back position. So I've seen it from him, just not at this level. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that maybe it was just like a, a full year away from contact. Like how much of that is, is Rusker? Like him like maybe not showcasing great vision in this first year. We really got some carries. Is that just rust or is that something that we sh- is that a bigger issue that we need to be concerned about? I think it's rust and I think at the same time a little bit of desperation like hey, I don't get that many carries. I can't sit here and be patient. Like I need to go and get what I can get, right? That's there. Yeah, I and, and there's yeah, and, and I think that there's something to that for sure. And again, like I said, I I've seen him do it at the high school level. Granted, that what and that's the thing in high school, he, he had great vision, and I, so that's why like, you don't just lose it. Yeah, well, I think you can like I think it can become rusty. Maybe not lose it entirely, but like I think it becomes rusty. When I like, think about it, when you're you've gone basically what 
more than a full year from taking any sort of contact. You're not out there, you know, running inside drill or anything like that. Like you're not actually out there taking carries, even really at practice for so long. Is that something that can kind of just, you know, you lose a little bit of it and then you can get it back once you kind of get back in the rhythm of things? Um, I, I mean, I would think so. I mean, I, I don't think that he's going to completely lose it. I don't think he's going to make a huge become DeAndre Swift vision right away, but I do think we'll see a different runner next year. I think we will too. I think we're going to see guys more confident, not not just in his knees, but in, in what he's doing and just being confident in our system, all those things. Uh, I, again, I've seen it from him. So I, I, I believe the guy can do it. I just need to see it at this level. That's my one big question. But if there's anything, I mean, I love what I saw from him in year one, but uh, that vision was the only kind of question mark I have. Hopefully that's something that, that he takes care of and kind of um, shuts me up here very quickly as we head into the 2020 season. Um, but uh, all right, Kurt, realistic goal. What's a realistic performance goal for us to set for Zamir White next season? Um, I think he should shoot for 1,000 yards. There's no question. If you're going to be our number one guy, we need at least 1,000 out of you. Do you see him as the number one guy? I do. I think that right now he ha- ha- of what we have back there. I think he's the one that you could see like a workhorse of the guys. I think he's the odds-on favorite coming into the year. Uh, I think he's a guy that's more if, if he's healthy, if he's back to 100% health, and, and hopefully he is. We'll see. Sometimes these injuries, you know, guys respond to him differently. We'll see. I think he got I, one thing that's encouraging to me is that I think he got closer to 100% health. Uh, as the year went on, obviously, as you get further away from the injury, you're going to get better. But like some guys, just you don't see the growth throughout the year. But I, th- I think we saw that from Zamir White. Uh, but yeah, I think he, if he's healthy, like he should be the odds-on favorite. I think James Cook's going to get some carries. So he'll have a role. I'm, I, I'm pretty high on Kenny McIntosh, but I still, I still think Zeus is the odds-on favorite, even over McIntosh. We'll see what Kendall Milton can bring to the table coming in uh, from California this year as a true freshman. I think he's certainly going to be in the thick of things. He's here on campus right now, so he'll be here for spring. Uh, but I think Zeus is the odds-on favorite, and it'll be a battle for sure. But I think if he's the guy, a thousand yards needs to happen. I think it will happen if he is the starter throughout the entire season, which I think that should be his goal: be the starter and have a thousand plus yards on the year. To me, I think that's a very realistic goal for Zeus heading into 2020. But all right, let's flip things over to the defensive side of the ball here for our next player, and that is linebacker Monty Rice. Now, after a couple years of being in the rotation and only starting six games over his first two seasons in Athens, Monty Rice took a huge step forward. and like He really became the guy at inside linebacker for us this year, starting all 14 games. Now, Kurt, you and I, like we weren't necessarily critical of him his first couple of seasons, but I think it's fair to say if we would have done this exercise after the 2017 or even the 2018 seasons, the grade wouldn't exactly been glowing. Is that fair, Kurt? Yeah, I think it is. Um, but he's definitely set himself apart this past year. Yeah. So let's move into 2019. So what grade are you going to give him after what I think was a a much improved 2019 season for Monty Rice? I'm definitely going to go with a three. Um, I mean, you would want to put four, but I still think there's always room for improvement. But the guy, Not the one, the, yeah. the one place I was definitely impressed on is I thought he worked I thought he was just quicker getting to the ball um sideline to sideline you know forever we weren't so sure about his speed I think that's one of the things that kind of kept him off the field um at times but he's definitely he I mean no matter where the ball was he was there to make a player to be in the middle of things um he definitely became our leader our alpha especially in that linebacker core as good as a you know, Tay Crowder went in there and did things for us. He definitely just set himself apart. And it, it was hard for us to get him off the field because he, he was just so important. 
And towards the end of the year, we just almost didn't take him off the field unless it was third down situation, like an obvious passing down. That's when he would come off when we brought our dime package in. But in standard downs, like we just we stopped, like we would rotate, but he wasn't really coming off the field very much. Yeah, if uh, anyone was getting rotated, it was Tay coming out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and like I, I'm totally with you here. Monty Rice, uh, to me, was a, a three, a, a very proficient player. And and board, like I thought, as the year progressed, as we got toward the, towards the end of the year, I just became more and more impressed with him with each and every game. Like he got close to a four for me. But, like, I, I'm a tough grader when it comes to that. I only give fours out to, uh, like, when I say advanced, like the truly elite players. And I think Monty is close to that. I think he's he's pushing towards that status. But I just don't know if I'm ready to say he's an elite – he was an elite linebacker in 2019. Is that – am I am I being too hard on him? No, I think – I mean, that's kind of where I was. Yeah, he's just not quite – he wasn't quite, like – Elite, elite, like a top 10 draft level type guy or our first round type guy last year. And for me, you got to be in that category if you're going to be a four. I think he's getting close. I think he could be that guy this year. But based on what he did last year, I would say a three. But he was drastically improved, in my opinion. And you mentioned it, Curtis. Like, look, I, I love when our guys shut me up and prove me wrong. And Monty Rice certainly did that this year because I've had some questions. I've been very open about my questions about his sideline to sideline tight speed. Could he ever be that kind of guy for us? I loved him between the tackles. I thought he was the best linebacker we had between the tackles for uh, going back to 2018 after Roquan left. But I just didn't know if he could be that sideline to sideline type athlete. And I saw that from him this year. Uh, he surprised me. I don't, I, I don't, maybe I was just flat out wrong altogether, or maybe he got a little quicker. Uh, one of the two, but he was he was that guy for us this year. And I, I, I look what I did throughout the year, guys. I went back and pulled up tape from 2018, compared Monty Rice in 18 to 19. He's just a different player. Uh, I think the the questions about his general speed were were fair in 2018 and 17, but last year, I I don't know what exactly happened. He took it to another level, really improved that speed, become our most consistent tackler, just played all around faster. I think part of it maybe was just him understanding the system, getting more reps, feeling more confident in what we were doing, and just uh, being able to go out there and play fast. When you can play fast like that, like that makes a major difference when you're not questioning things, you're not there's no hesitation at all. That can make a difference in what you do on the field, obviously. And I think we saw that from Monty Rice this year. But Kurt, in 2020, as good as he was in 2019, I think he was clearly our best inside linebacker. What does he need to improve on moving forward in 2020? I'll just continue to improve on his speed. I mean, that's the real area where you separate yourself, especially when, you know, when you're trying to go pro or just in general. The quicker you are, the quicker you, re- uh, you can read the plays and make decisions to get there, the, just the better you are. Yeah, I – he answered the questions about speed in my book. I mean, and there's a play that stands out. There's a, multiple plays, but there's one since it was the most recent game against Baylor where uh, they're trying to get a, a ball out to the running back in, in the flat there, and Rice comes from the far hash. Uh, well, not quite the far hash, close to the far hash, and he just comes screaming down the sideline, and he holds the play to like a one-and-a-half-yard gain when in the past, like if it was anybody else out there, like that might have been a, a 10, 15, 20-yard game. He comes screaming really from out of nowhere, and that's kind of things you like used to see from Roquan Smith. Now, certainly he is not Roquan Smith, and he's not quite that fast. But, like, I didn't think Monty Rice had that in him the first couple years he was here on campus. But he showed that to me, and he didn't just flash. He showed it to me pretty consistently throughout the year. So I, like, he answered those questions for me. My questions for him uh, come on, like, third down situation. Like, he, he basically did not play third downs. He was on the field for almost every standard down in most situations. Got a few breathers here and there. But he came off the field when we brought our dime package in. When it was when I, when I say third down, 
when it's third and long, obvious passing situations. We didn't quite trust him as much in coverage as we did some guys like N'Kobe Dean or Quay Walker, and to a lesser degree, even Tay Crowder. So to me, my question for him is, can he improve in coverage enough to where he can become a three-down linebacker? Because if he wants to be wants to get up into the first round of the NFL draft, he's got to show the ability to do that. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to count him out. I, I think we have guys that do that better than he does. I think N'Kobe does that better than he does. I think Quay Walker does it better than he does. But can he at times – when maybe it's a third and medium, third and six, third and seven, where we're not quite sure if they're going to be throwing the ball, run the football, what are they going to be doing? Can he still be, be in those packages? So I think that's what he has to answer. It's not so much like straight line speed. I think he answered those questions for me. It's more agility, uh, the the short area quickness, those kind of things. Can he improve in coverage? You just haven't seen that's if there's any like weakness in his game, that's kind of been where it where it is because he just has kind of been taken out of those situations. I also love to see him kind of improve his uh, as a leader this year. I thought he did a good job of that last year. I'm not saying he had any deficiency as a leader, but that just wasn't his role last year necessarily. We had other guys on the defense to look to. But I think this year, coming in as a senior, like this could be a situation where it's his deep, him and Richard account. It's their defense. They've got to take ownership and leadership of this defense. And I think he needs to grow into that a little bit more, be a little bit more of a vocal leader and just kind of be that guy in the locker room. And hopefully he can be, I think he absolutely can be, but uh, Kurt, what do you think is a realistic goal for Monty Rice next season? Um, I think you definitely want to try to make one of those all SEC teams, probably yeah. try to um, get at least over a hundred tackles. I mean, I think that he can do all those things, but I um, mean, Especially if you're a leader on this defense and you're able to put together one of the all-SEC type position players, then I think you've put our defense in a position. I mean, we're already returning a lot, so we just need him to continue to do what he's doing. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I, he's clearly going to be a starter. That's obvious to me, so I'm not even going to set that as a goal. Like, that's just going to happen. But for me, I think all-SEC is a realistic goal for him. I don't know of all-American. I don't know if he's going to – now, it depends. Like, if our defense is, like, number one in the country and we win a national title next year, yeah, like, he could be an all-American, potentially. Uh, but I think all SEC. Let's let's be uh, let's just be safe here. Let's not be too aggressive. I think all SEC is a very realistic goal. In fact, in fact, I expect Monty Rice to be all SEC next year and potentially all SEC first team. So that's where I'm going to set his goal heading into 2020. I'm with you there, Kurt. All right, let's stay on defense for this next player, and that's defensive tackle Devontae White. I know he's been in some trouble recently. Uh, first off, Curtis, address that. Do you think he's going to miss any time on the field in games because of the recent legal issue? Um, maybe the only thing that makes me think otherwise is because it happened right now that Kirby has time to make his life hell for spring. Yes, and Kirby also used the infamous word, not infamous, but the the very, I guess, famous word. In, we're going to handle this internally. What does that typically mean to you, Kurt? When you hear we're going to handle this internally, um, that he's not going to miss any time. That they're just going to torture him. Yeah, we're going to make his life a living hell uh, for a couple of weeks, for a while, through spring practice probably. And then once he takes his medicine, then he'll be good to go. I think that – and that's the difference between Mark Rick and Kirby Spar. Under Mark Rick, he was going to miss games. He was going to miss time. That's just the way it was. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's just how it was going to be. And Kirby is kind of taking a different track uh, or a different tack here. And uh, he is – especially when it's the first instance like this, and it's not a felony or something like that. Um, he is giving these guys a chance to kind of uh, just take their medicine or on the way back on the field. Because I think he understands also, like when you suspend players, yeah, sure, you want to try to teach them a lesson, I get all that. But are you actually, like, to me, you're hurting the team when you do that. And do you want to punish the rest of the team? Like, collect, the, the idea of collective punishment, that's a little antiquated to me. I think Kirby is kind of on the same line with me there. And I know people say, well, you got to teach him a lesson. But I don't know. Does that really teach him a lesson? Because all these guys do the same thing anyway. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But anyway, I, I mean, would. As long as you do something, I'm okay. You have to address it. You can't just like say, oh, nothing happens. 
Um, but I don't know if missing time on the field is the answer. Uh, I really don't, but that's just me. So I like that we handle these things, especially first offenses like this, handle it internally and uh, and go from there. But I'm with you. I don't think he's going to miss any time. But uh, but this is a guy, Devontae White, that was not – that he was a guy that not many people were talking about coming into the season, like including us. Really, like We mentioned him here casually, but we didn't talk much about him heading into 2019. I mean, but he became a mainstay. Yeah, we were, talking, we were all over Tyler Clark, and Clark had a good year. But Devontae White became a mainstay on our defensive line, and he ended the season with more tackles than any other defensive lineman on the team. So, Kurt, how did you grade Wyatt's performance in 2019? Um, definitely a three. I thought he was just a – he did a lot for us. I thought he could really yeah. control the line of scrimmage. And he. And the thing was, it wasn't just in one part, one aspect of the game. He was actually really good in pass rush, getting after the quarterback, creating pressure. And he also did a good job in stuffing the run. So, I mean, I thought he – you know, went out there and did exactly what we asked him to do in, in this Kirby Smart's offense. I, th- I, I mean, thought defense. he was a very – yes, defense, yeah. I thought he was a very well-rounded defensive lineman for us. I honestly – and I love Tyler Clark, and Clark had some big moments for us. I thought that Wyatt was our most consistently disruptive interior defensive lineman this, this past year. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that is very fair. Yeah, and, and Clark had good moments. And I love Tyler Clark, but I, th- I thought Wyatt from game one like, – he was a guy, like, if any, like, I even said it after the game against Vanderbilt week one, they're in Nashville, they're watching the game, and, like, the, my takeaway was Devontae Wyatt. Like, Devontae Wyatt was the first guy that I thought of when I was kind of going through my notes for the recap show for that first game against Vanderbilt. I, I thought he was a rock star in that game. Now, he wasn't consistently that guy every single game, but he was, like, he was consistently at least very good for us. And uh, he had multiple games where he was just – he was a monster. And uh, I think that this is something that he can build on heading into 2020. I don't think he was even close to being as good as he can be. Um, but he had uh, he had one-and-a-half sacks last year, 27 quarterback pressures, which was second most on the entire team from the interior demons of line position, which is something that I've been talking about for a long time. Like, we've had solid pass rushers off the edge. We just haven't had those disruptive pass rushers from the interior. And I thought he gave us more of that than anybody on the team in a, in a couple of years from that interior demons of line position, including Tyler Clark. So that was very encouraging for me to see him be able to do that and also be stout against the run as well, be a well-rounded interior demons of lineman. So uh, I thought it was a very good year for him. I'm with you. I'll give him a three. I thought he was not obviously not an advanced level demons of lineman. He wasn't Derek Brown. But in terms of what we need from our demons of linemen and, and what we've seen the past couple of years from guys that were good but not great, I think he's been as good as anybody that we've had on the defensive on the interior of the defensive line in the past couple of years, at least from that three technique uh, defensive tackle position. But uh, what do you think he needs to improve on a little bit more in 2020, Kurt? Um, probably just getting off of blocks. I think that's almost what almost every defensive lineman yeah. can do. But if he can continue to improve in that part of the game, it just makes him that much better all around. Yeah, just consistency with technique and leverage. For me, that's what it comes down to. I think he's got a really explosive first step. Uh, I think he's got some. I, I think he's got some actually like some wiggle to his game, which I know you don't really hear people talk about with defensive linemen. But I think that's important to have hips to be able to kind of fit yourself through those gaps. Might show up in the line uh, online scrimmage to be able to kind of get offensive linemen off balance as a pass rusher. I think that's important. I don't think it's talked about enough. So I think he has that, but just becoming more consistent with technique and leverage, just uh, just a little bit more polished in that position. And it wouldn't hurt him to become a little bit stronger. I'm not saying he was weak by any stretch of imagination, but another year in the weight uh, strength and conditioning program, hit the weights a little bit harder, and um, you get a, a year stronger, you become even more dominant along that defensive front. So I think just those small things, kind of just cleaning up his game. But I thought he had a really strong year this year. But, uh, Kurt, what do you think – Heading to 2020, what is a realistic goal for Devontae Wyatt? Um, 
you know, it's really hard to just kind of put it together on the defense line because they have just different stats. And we, um, yeah, we, like, think, yeah, they rotate so much. I too, definitely think he should be in. an every down, close to an every down type guy. At least he's a starter, right? Like that should be yeah. the goal. He's going to start. 100%. He's, yeah. I mean, if you look at the defensive line next year, obviously you got Jordan Davis at the zero tech, the nose guard. You got uh, Devontae Y. You got Rochester coming back. Um, and those are going to be the three guys that are going to get the most time up front. I think Jalen Carter, the freshman coming in from Apopka uh, down in Florida, I think he's going to certainly have a chance to be an impact type player for us. But I mean, those four guys, along with, oh, well, with Trayvon Walker, I'm, I'm curious to see what we do with Walker if, is, and what his body grows into. Is he going to be like a, a guy that can play on the interior uh, on a, a three-down basis? Can he hold up against the run uh, consistently at that three-tech? Or is he a guy that's going to come in as kind of a third-down pass rush specialist, that kind of thing from the defensive line position? I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with him. But he'll certainly be in the conversation as well. Bill Norton's another guy. Although I think Bill is more of a five-tech kind of guy which is a little bit of a different position than uh, this interior spot. But, yeah, I think he's going to be a star with the three-tech. Um, oh, yeah, 27 quarterback pressures last year. Let's say 30 this year. I think that's uh, a fair number. But you're right, Curtis. It's hard. Like, defensive linemen, like, stats aren't necessarily – they don't really tell the whole story. Um, but I think he's going to have a big-time year for us. I, I fully expect that from Devontae Wyatt next season. Um, all right. Let's talk about uh, the wide receiver position. And let's talk about Dominic Blaylock, the true freshman from last year, like George Pickens. Dom was another highly regarded recruit coming out of high school, albeit without the fanfare due to the fact that he just committed so early and just he really didn't play the recruiting game. It just wasn't his style, wasn't in his nature. Uh, and while he didn't have quite a Pickens-like year, he was still one of our more solid contributors at wide receiver, hauling in 18 catches for a little over 300 yards and five touchdowns before very unfortunately, hate to see this, tearing his ACL in the SEC title game. So, Kurt, how do you evaluate Blaylock's performance in 2019? Um, I'm definitely going to go with the three. I mean, the guy did a lot for us. Uh, so, you know, stepped in when we weren't really – I don't know if we were expecting it right away, but he stepped in and made an impact for us and made some big plays. Um, you know, I think the Florida game, the Auburn game, the guy Auburn made some good – Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, you could see the guy – he runs such such crisp routes. I definitely think that's one of the better parts of his game. Yeah, he's got great hips. Um, he's got really good lateral agility. He's not an explosive athlete or dynamic athlete by any stretch of the imagination. But he's got good hips. He's got good lateral agility. He's got really strong hands. One thing I love about him is he's a, a dependable type receiver. And I know typically you, you, when you talk about possession receivers, you talk about guys who are like, you know, the bigger kind of bodies that you can go out there, you, know, you just run a curl route and you get five, six yards and whatever. You can just depend, depend on those guys. I know he's not as big as some of those traditional possession receivers, but like I still kind of get that vibe from Dom. Are you with me on that? Because I, I just don't see him as like an explosive. No, that's receiver. true. I mean, that's the thing. That's why he has to run such crisp routes. I mean, yeah. the guy, he's quick. That's how he gets separation. Yeah, he's not overly fast. Yeah, he, he's not a uh, he's not a burner at all. I mean, I, I if if he ran a forty yard dash right now, I I would probably put his number over under about like four six. Like I would say that's about right for him, which is solid. It's not like, again, not dynamic or anything like that, but it's good enough when you run routes like he does. You have the hands that he has. I know he's not a huge guy, but I, I see him more as a possession type guy, underneath type guy than I do anything else. Well, I know he had that big catch against Auburn, uh, which is huge, uh, but I don't see him doing that. Like I don't, I don't think he's just going to like destroy teams vertically. Like he's not going to take the top off defenses consistently. That's just not his game. Doesn't mean he can't be a really good receiver for us. I just don't think that's necessarily his game. But he works really hard. He does all the little things really, really well. I see the argument for a three. I just think there's more that we can get out of him. I think um, that's the exciting thing. Like even though he was good for us last year, 300 yards, five touchdowns, I think we're still just kind of see him we saw him kind of scratching the surface of what he can be for us. 
So I went with a two, although I was really tempted to go with a three, and I can't really argue with you too much there, Kurt. But I still think there's more, a lot more that he can improve on, which is exciting. And I think with 300 yards as a freshman, that's solid. And I think what he can do moving forward once he comes back from this ACL injury, that's exciting to think about. Um, but what do you think he needs to improve on, Kurt, to maybe take that next step if he's uh, healthy and ready to go next um, year? Um, I think he's got to get stronger. I think that's definitely yeah. the biggest part of his game. You know, not being quit as fast as some of these overall burners. He's gonna have to get stronger, especially when, when you're going against linebackers and people that are gonna be physical with you in the slot. Yeah, and and I, I do think you mentioned slot there. I think that's where he naturally fits a little bit better. But we did play him outside uh, a fair amount last year. Uh, and I don't know what we're going to do moving forward. I personally think he's more of a slot guy. I'm with you. We'll see what we do moving forward um, because we just don't have a ton of options at receiver right now. I mean, we got some guys coming in. We'll see how they are, are ready to produce uh, as freshmen. You just never. It's hard to count on guys like that. Obviously, we have Pickens and Landers we'll try to play outside. I guess we got, but the thing is, like D. Rob and Blaylock are very similar receivers, and I think they both fit in this. And yeah, we have three guys: Karis Jackson, D. Rob, and uh, Blaylock. To me. All three guys fit best in the slot. Are you are you with me there, Kurt? Yeah, I do. And, and that's the, problem, the guys right? that we have there now. I mean, you got to think you got people right. like uh, Arian Smith coming in, who is a hundred percent a slot receiver. Oh, sure, absolutely. And McConkey, a hundred percent a slot receiver. So we've got a lot of. Uh, I think we're going to have uh, kind of a, a load of players at that position, and we did last year at times too. So like guys like Harris Jackson were having to play outside when he's really a slot receiver. D. Rod had to play outside at times when he's really a slot receiver. And Blaylock had to play outside at times when he's really a slot receiver. So when he was playing outside, one of the things that he struggled with was getting off press man coverage because he just wasn't, he's not a big dude. Uh, he, he's not experienced at this level. So he struggled like with that. Like a lot of the players uh, at the wide receiver position struggled for us against those looks this past year. I mean, I mentioned it last week. I mean, South Carolina, they just went man free basically with a single high, uh, single high safety and just manned up in our faces. And our receivers could not get open once Lawrence Cager went down. And, and Blaylock was part of that. Uh, so that's one thing I think he needs to, to continue to improve on, but he's certainly not alone there. Uh, I thought he did a good job season went on, a better job kind of understanding coverage and kind of how to sit down in different zone looks that we were getting, kind of making those side adjustments. But that's something that you can continue to improve on as you enter your sophomore year. But Kurt, um, looking forward, and I know that the injury thing, it complicates things, but what do you think is a realistic goal for Blaylock next season? Um, it's hard to say, but I want to say at least a co- probably three to 400 yards. Um maybe three to four touchdowns. I mean, the thing is, I just don't know how we're going to use him. Um, it's hard to say with Monkey. Like, I know. Yeah, well, and even just, up. yeah, in general, I mean, coming back from injury, don't know how yep. he's going to be. And then, I and you, like I said, you don't know how what Monkey's going to do with the offense. Um, so I really – I think you should at least have a couple hundred yards. And, and at the least thing a couple is, touchdowns. too, like with a new coordinator coming in, it'd be really great – to have him here in the spring so Monken can kind of get a look at him and get a feel for what he can do and kind of develop a plan for him. But when he's certainly not going to be out when he's going to be out for the spring and who knows if he'll be cleared for, for the fall, hopefully he will. We just don't know. I mean, I think he probably will, but I don't know. We'll see. So like, is he going to have enough time in the system to really kind of get himself up to speed and the coaches feel comfortable with him? This new, well, not, not entirely new staff, at least a new coordinator feels comfortable with, with kind of where he fits in. Cause that's what the spring's all about right now. When you have a new coordinator coming in, it's going to figure out what role, what role guys are going to play. You start to figure those things out and kind of hammer it out once you get into the fall camp. So that's, that's frustrating. I'm sure for him, it's frustrating for me because I think he could be a good player for us this year. I think he will be if he's healthy. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume he's going to be healthy here. I, I, he won't be 100%, obviously, uh, until maybe later on the year. But let's just say he's ready to go uh, for fall camp. And if that's the case, I think it's, for me, my realistic goal for him, I'm going to say 30 catches for around 
four to 500 yards, somewhere between that four to 500 yards. He had 300 this year as a freshman. So I think taking the next step to to another hundred to 200 yards receiving around 30 catches to me, that's realistic for him heading into 2020, but we'll see that the injury certainly could complicate things there. We'll have to kind of just monitor that as the offseason wears on. Uh, All right, next up we've got, this might be our last guy. We'll see if we can fit one more in after this. Um, Nicobe Dean, linebacker Nicobe Dean, one of the guys I was most excited about in the 2019 class. Uh, you guys know, I, I mentioned this before, I'm an old linebacker nerd, and Dean is the kind of linebacker that just gets me excited. He's an explosive, dynamic athlete at that position, and that's almost a requirement to adequately defend spread offenses in this day and age, and that's that's just what I thought Dean could be coming into college. But Kurt, what did you see from this year? How did you grade year one for Nicobe Dean? Um, I mean, I went with a two because I think that's really fair for him, but you could definitely see everything there. You saw the speed. I mean, there's a reason they brought him down in a lot of passing down situations because they trusted him out there. Um, so, But I still think he has room to improve. Uh, but you could definitely see where this guy could have actually come in and played. I think Tay stepping up this year kind of hurt Nakobe's chances of starting – or not starting but playing as much as he did. I mean, he still got a lot of PT, but Tay made himself invaluable – um, but I still think that Nakobe long term is him and Monty are more than likely, in my opinion, will be the, the starting two going forward with Quay Walker in there. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, look. I, I'm still very high on Nakobe Dean. I'm with you. I gave him a two as well, uh, developing, and that's uh, and guys, that's kind of where a freshman should be, unless you just come out and you're like a a day one starter and and you're on the all SEC freshman list, all that kind of thing. To me, like you're, you're developing, you're improving, you're getting better. I think that's where Nicobe Dean was this year. He was in the rotation. He worked. Now I think one thing that did set him back is he got a little ankle injury in fall camp because uh, he was making waves prior to the ankle injury. And that kind of set him back early in the year. Didn't get as much playing time early on as, as he was kind of working his way back from that. And when, the, and as, when it's a guy whose game is speed at that position, that really, that's tough. That's that hurts you. But once he got healthy, you started to see what this guy can do. And, and the coaches got more and more comfortable with him. And he started seeing more and more playing time as the year progressed. Um, and and I, I think that's why you saw him be a fixture at linebacker in the dime package. I mean, he was our third down dime linebacker for most of the season once he got healthy because he has he has athleticism. He has that insane closing speed. He's got really good coverage skills. He's not the biggest guy. He's kind of short, which he's not the longest linebacker in terms of his, his, his like arm length. But he's got still got good coverage skills. He's a very solid blitzer, so he's kind of a natural fit as the inside linebacker in that dime package. Uh, and while he was undersized, which clearly he's six foot, about 220 pounds, not a small guy, but just short, he does a really good job with play recognition and, and kind of use that smaller frame to his advantage. Like if, if you're not big, use it to your advantage. And what he would do is he, he would use that small frame, kind of knife through the traffic to make the play. Um, and I saw that from him multiple times where like you see all this traffic there and all this mess, this massive humanity. And here comes the Kobe Dean kind of just filtering through all the traffic and making the play at or near the line of scrimmage. So I think he does a really good job kind of, of uh, compensating for maybe being a slightly uh, undersized inside linebacker. But we saw the athleticism, and again, like, as I said when I introduced him, in the modern day of college football, you've got to be able to run at the linebacker position. Because if you're going to defend spread offenses with how they try to use the force you to defend the entire field and they spread you out and they put explosive dynamic athletes out there at the skill positions, you've got to be able to run. And that's what Nicobe Dean can do. Sure, he's a little undersized, but I'll trade the size for his ability to run in space and defend what modern-day offenses try to do to defenses. So I'm really excited about him. But there are some things he clearly needs to improve on, Kerr. So what did you see from him that he needs to improve on heading into next year? Um, I think his is getting off the blocks. Because 
you know, you mentioned he's a little bit undersized, so when those linemen got their hands on him, he was not going anywhere. Yep. Uh, I think that's the biggest part of his game because the guy read the plays very quickly. I mean, if you watch him, that wasn't his problem. I think his problem was just getting away from, like you mentioned, when the crowd gets there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly what I have. Uh, he, he does absolutely need to do a better job of disengaging from blockers when they do get their hands on him. It doesn't happen often because he's really good. He's, he's a very instinctive linebacker. Uh, he's very quick in a short area, so he's able to kind of get into the hole and situate himself uh, where he needs to be prior to them getting their hands on him. But there were times when they did get their hands on him, and when they did, he struggled to kind of get off of them. So something he needs to work on a little bit. Um, and also one thing I, I saw from him, and this is, again, guys, this is what you got to work on with freshman linebackers, is just bring your legs on contact. When you're in high school and you're just bigger and faster and stronger than everybody, you don't necessarily have to be a great technician at linebacker. you got to just plow over people. But you've got to be better than that when you get to the college game. And one of the things I see, I mean, on a weekly basis during the college football season is line, and it drives me nuts as an old linebacker and an old linebacker coach myself. When I see guys line, from the linebacker position, they, they they come up, they strike you, but then they leave their feet. It's like they could come up and run their feet through you, but they like dive at you. They leap at you. They leave your feet. And as a linebacker, when you leave your feet, you lose all your power. You lose all your leverage. You are beaten. That's how running backs break tackles is when linebackers or really anyone else leaves their feet to tackle somebody. That's not what you do. You get up under them and you run your legs. You drive on contact. So he's got to bring his legs better on contact and at least do a more consistent job of that, especially when you're not the biggest dude out there at the linebacker position. And also maybe just playing a little bit more under control. We talked about Tyreek Stevenson a couple weeks ago, how he was really adept at blitzing and getting into the backfield. But he came in there just kind of wilded out of control and missed on a couple of, uh, of potential game-changing type sacks. We saw that from Nicobe Dean a couple of times as well. And that just comes with time, comes with experience, just being a little bit more under control and understanding how to get after guys Play with like controlled aggression, I guess, is what is what Kirby Smart would say. So, uh, really high on him, but there are clearly some things he can work on. But I think you already mentioned this, but I'll let you go one more time. What do you think is a realistic goal for Nakobe next season? I think it is for him to compete for that second starting position with Quay Walker. Um, I think his speed is going to be the one thing that probably separates him. Hopefully, I mean, it's not really hopefully because I think either of them could do the job. But I think I think it's very reasonable to expect him to try to be that number two guy. Yeah, I think fighting. He's gonna, he's going to fight with Quay Walker for that that second starting spot opposite Monty Rice. So I think it's. I said the same thing we talked about Quay Walker. I think for both those guys, Quay and Kobe, it's a realistic goal to be the starter opposite Monty Rice next season. And we'll see who wins that job. We'll see, and it might not be played out until uh, we we get deep into fall camp. But uh, I think both guys have a chance to uh, to be that guy next to Monty, and both should certainly shoot for that. All right, we only have a few minutes left here for Curse. Got to get out of here. But um, let's Kurt, let's do rapid fire, run through one more. Adam Anderson, outside linebacker, um, was in out of the lineup. We saw a lot more of him. At, uh, he started the season in our dying package. Uh, they kind of lost that role to Jermaine Johnson. And then at the, as the season wore on towards the end of the season, he kind of gained that role back again. So, Kurt, what grade are you giving Adam Anderson in his true sophomore year? I'm still going to go with the two because the guy, I mean, it's kind of what you saw with DeAndre Walker where he has it all, but he just needs to put it all together, get the weight up, make himself more valuable to where he is closer to an every down back. Because the guy can do it in the pass rushing. It's just you've got to do everything else. Yeah, absolutely. He's just 
He's got to consistently put on the weight. And I don't know if he'll ever – like some guys just can't do it. They can't put the weight on. You mentioned DeAndre Walker. We've mentioned that before. There's a lot of comparisons between Anderson and Walker in that regard and that they both have really good frames. They're both highly athletic, explosive pass rushers, but just have had trouble early on in their careers keeping the weight on. It really took DeAndre Walker uh, really into his, his, his third year on campus where he was able to actually kind of keep some weight on and get into the rotation consistently. Until Anderson does that, he's not going to ever do anything for us other than be a third down like pass rush specialist. And if that's all he ever does, are you okay with that? I mean, yeah, because we have the guys that can do it. So I mean, it's not like yeah. we're hurt, like we're desperate for him to step up. Sure, absolutely. Like he has a role, and like you guys saw how much Kirby rotated, uh, not just Kirby, but Dan Lane, the entire defense. How much we rotated guys on defense this year. Uh, and and he and he has a role. And if he if that's the only role he ever plays is a third down pass rush type guy. But I'm okay with that because I think he can be a dominant third down pass rush type guy. Now, he'll never, if, if that's what he does, he'll never put up like 10 plus sacks because he won't be on the field enough, but he'll certainly be very, very good in that role for us. I'm okay with that, but I think he can be more than that. I think he can be more on the lines of what DeAndre Walker was his final year here in Athens if he can just get the weight. Right now, he's, he's 6'5, 225 pounds, which is solid. But if he wants to be an every down linebacker, outside linebacker, uh, like an Aziz Ojolari or Nolan Smith has the potential to be, he's got to get up in that 240 range. He's got to get there, and I, I think he can. Uh, it's just t- like some of these guys, believe it or not, they just have a tough time with their metabolism of keeping weight on. I know he's trying. I know he is, but he's just got to find a way for that weight to stick. And if he does, the man, this, I think this guy could be the limit for Adam Anderson because I think he's that explosive a pass rusher. But uh, we just got to see that from him. But what do you think is the goal for him in 2020, Kurt? Uh, just try to – Put the weight on, keep it on, and try to get yourself on the field more than just in dime and dime packages. Do you think he has a pathway to do that with guys like Aziz and Nolan and Jermaine Johnson on the on the team? Um, yeah, because if he can handle, if he can pack the weight on, then he would still be he would set, still have himself yeah. separated from the others because that speed is. Something I think he'd be. I still think have. He, along with Nolan, he'd be one of the two most explosive outside linebackers that we have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Make sure to check back with us later this week. We'll have more Georgia sports content for you guys. And then next week, we will start our spring practice preview episodes, getting you ready for all things spring practice. So make sure to check back with us later this week and into next week, and we'll have you guys covered. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>